from the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos podcast. Ben Grant joined as always by JB. We've got a really busy lineup tonight. Not only do we have the double blue scrimmage to talk about, we've got the the new uniform release that happened today. We got to talk about that. Plus, we've got real football, JB. We are previewing a preseason matchup, Toronto at Hamilton. So we've got all the usual stuff, OCDC, one thing, predictions, all that more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. JB, before we get into the heart of our podcast, I've got exciting news to share about our title sponsor, Something in the Water Brewing. You've heard me rave about Longboat Pale Ale, the the beer made especially for fans of the Double Blue, the beer inspired by Toronto right guard Darius Bladeck. Well, we have a released date, folks. Longboat Pale Ale is going to be launched for Father's Day with a big barbecue celebration, and it couldn't be more perfectly timed because Father's Day is also the day of the Argos home opener against the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and something the water is in Liberty Village just steps from BMO Field, so. Here's the plan for everybody. You've got to, first of all, make sure you've got your your tickets to the Argos home opener. That's step one. And then you're going to get down to Liberty Village a few hours before the game. Enjoy some of the best beer in the world. Get yourself a bite to eat while you're at it. It's a new season for the Double Blue, and it is a new season for the uh, Double Blue uh, flagship beer of summertime, the uh, Longboat Pale Ale, uh, which, you know, couldn't be couldn't be timed better. Releasing Longboat Pale Ale the same day as the Argos home opener. I love it. So JB, we'll have to get ourselves down there and grab some Longboat Pale Ale and store up enough to 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 make sure that it lasts through the year as well. So I I, I got to do some purchasing for sure. <laughs> yeah, JB, sounds great. What's that? That sounds great. Good timing. Yeah. Father's Day. Yeah. No. Exactly. I know. Perfectly timed. I got Actually, I should get my dad down there too. I think he would. I think he would love that. So we we definitely <laughs> have to set that up. Um, he would never leave is the problem. So I wouldn't be able to get him to the game, but uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do. JB, we got a scrimmage to talk about. You and I were in Guelph yesterday watching the double blue scrimmage. Uh, what, what do you think, like overall impressions? What was your what was your initial thought kind of heading out of the stadium mm-hmm. yesterday? Um, I, I felt the team looked like a team that was pretty confident in who they are. Um, they went through things pretty quickly. Um, didn't replay things, you know, we're, we're sort of tinkering with things and we're happy to run through different scenarios, but it, it, it struck me as a very confident team, uh, a team that, that knows what it wants to do and is kind of, you know, going, not going through the motions, but is, is going through things quickly and efficiently because, uh, they know that they're ready for the next level of, of install and preparation. So that, that's certainly encouraging. That was certainly the vibe I felt was nobody got as excited as maybe other years we've seen. And I think that probably is, is a sense of, um, you know, that it's a team that's just kind of working through what has to be done. And and it's not as much, it's a little more workmanlike, I guess, if you would. Yeah. I like that. I like that comment. I hadn't thought of it like that, but you're absolutely right. We've seen, this game over the last couple of years where you have a lot of celebrating, hooting, hollering, high-fiving, running down the field. And that wasn't 
happening in this game. It was it was a team taking care of business. It was doing their job. This is what we've got to do. And that speaks to their expectations. This is not a team that should get excited about scoring a touchdown in a, a double blue game. This is a team that should get excited about winning a great cup. And that's that's the the level that you got from there, which again, we've seen that sometimes, you know, those those midseason practices where we see them laser focused. It reminded me a little bit of that. But again, it took you saying that for me to realize that this was very much a team that's taking care of business. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, I've got an article on on Three Down Nation where I broke down each positional group and some things I saw from each group. We're not going to go through each positional group here, but I do want to highlight some of, I think, what we saw as being really important notes to take away from yesterday, JB. Quarterback position, let's start there. That's what everyone wanted to ask about. Like as soon as as soon as the game was was done, people wanted to know what we thought about the quarterback play. So I guess, like, I'll give you my thoughts first. I'd love to hear what what you took away from Chad Kelly's performance for starters, but also uh, from uh, who we sort of perceived to be the backup. So Chad Kelly, he looked great. Numbers-wise, you're always going to, because remember, it is a scrimmage. It's not an exhibition game. There is a difference. You are still wearing your, your red jersey, which means you're off limits. Defenders can't touch you. You're left alone. And that provides a level of comfort in the pocket that you don't get with preseason. So Jack Kelly ended up, you know, finishing uh, the day by completing 10 of 12 passes. That's terrific. Would he have completed 10 of 12 in a scrimmage or in an exhibition game? Probably not. But 10 of 12 for 139 yards, that's a that's a pretty nice outing that he had. He had two touchdown passes, a 20-yarder to, uh, to Lonnie Moore IV, who we'll talk about a bit more later. And uh, also a short one-yard touchdown pass to uh, Curly Gittins Jr. I think the takeaway for me and what made me feel comfortable with his performance was that he just looked like he was going through the routine. He didn't look new. He didn't look rattled by anything. He looked like he was running an offense that he was very familiar with. He looked like he was throwing to guys he was very familiar with. I was really pleased to see that the relationship that he's really forged in training camp with DeVaris Daniels stood out as a guy he was really comfortable throwing to, as well as some of the new faces he's got there. And obviously he's played a lot with Curly Gittins Jr. too. He just looked like a, a guy that has been playing quarterback for the Argos for a while. And I think to me, more than anything else, more than the arm strength, more than being able to weave it into tight spaces the way that he does, it was his level of comfort in doing it that put me at ease. What about you? Yeah, I, w- I was happy. He certainly looked uh, better than he did last year. Um, about last year, he looked a little more, a little, a little more frantic. He looked calmer in the pocket. You know, if I if I wanted to get nitpicky, did I feel like a couple times he he seemed a little happy footed in the pocket? I thought a couple times he did. Um, he threw some terrific seam, uh, you know, like a like a seam deep hook. Uh, passes you know he's he's got tons of arm and I love those I love that pass um you know he gets it right in there he can he can run that middle of the field stuff because he can rocket it in there um uh, which is what you need uh, on those in you know inside the uh, hash mark passes so I really like seeing that a couple of a couple of deep passes were probably bad decisions um into into double coverage um but uh, on the whole I was happy I'm, I'm probably a harder person to uh, 
to convince. I thought there was, you know, still, you know, he he didn't he didn't look like McLeod. I think, but nor should he. I mean, that's he is not a ten year veteran running through camp. He, he's going to look like a young quarterback uh, from time to time. That's just something Argo fans are going to have to to be happy with. But love the arm strength, and I like the reads. I liked his energy. You can feel when he's on the field that he is QB one. That kind of intangible, uh, which is really nice to to see. I don't know how you quantify it, but uh, he definitely has that, and I think the team reacts to that. So um, that was that was great to see. the The thing I'm still not used to is this the arm strength. Like I know we've watched him for a year at practice, and it's not like McLeod Bethel Thompson didn't have a cannon as well. He like McLeod's got an arm, but. Chad Kelly's arm is just different. There have been a couple. I, I wasn't so much. I, there were a couple of passes actually. That one to to Devaris was was just a rope. But there've been a few in camp where I've been watching. There was one. Uh, Argos were running sort of a variation of of dagger concept where you've got uh, the inside receivers running a seam. Outside receivers got a, a deep dig, and it was against zone coverage. And the receiver coming from the outside was settling into this void between two defenders. And I saw it developing and I was watching the receiver make the break and I was thinking, oh, there it is. And I was waiting for for Chad to throw it. But Chad's first read was to the opposite side of the field. And he worked his way back. And I thought to myself, oh, that's too bad. It's too late now. But then Chad threw it anyway. And I immediately reacted with sort of a cringe, like, oh, no, you can't throw it this late. It's going to get picked. But it turns out you can throw it that late when you can throw it 100 miles an hour because he did work it in. So he he found it late. I thought it was too late to throw it. He didn't think it was too late to throw it. And he just got it past the defender's hand, completed the pass to the receiver. And there's going to be moments like that where we all hold our breath collectively and then celebrate uh, the fact that he was able to complete the pass. But there are going to be some that he just misses as well, where they're going to end up going the other way where there are going to be mistakes. And that's the nature of having a gunslinger at a quarterback. Like you're saying, uh, having having a guy like Chad Kelly, he will bring more excitement to the position than we saw last year. But he will also have us pull out our hair more frequently, too. So, yeah, uh, I mean, he definitely looked better that. than last year, which is great to see. He looked absolutely in control of the offense um you know I, I might nitpick a few things but i was i would have to say from watching that practice i was um i was happy with his performance you know and so i think that's that's the takeaway for me the backup job's interesting because we've talked about how the argos decided not to bring in a veteran to to back up chad kelly this year and again i i support that decision i think that's correct I do believe if something is to happen to to Chad, knocking on wood here, but if something is to happen to Chad, I do believe they would trade for a veteran. I think that's when you'd see a deal made for someone like Dan Evans. But but I think it's correct to go forward like this. And you've got, we could see the talent. Now, Ben Holmes, uh, Brian Scott, uh, Cameron Dukes, the other quarterbacks out there, none of them were, none of them are, are there yet. They... They don't even quite, they're not even quite at number two yet, but I'm not really worried about that. I, I do think that will come. Holmes has got such a good arm and he's just, a, he's still a split second late. Uh, not And not with every pass. He made some beautiful, beautiful reads, beautiful passes. I think his, his film actually, I thought, 
is going to end up looking better from yesterday than than what I've seen for the majority of camp. And I, I would say for for uh, for Scott too, he had one of his best days because he, he's had some rough camp uh, practices as well. And he strung a really nice two-minute drive uh, together on Sunday, I guess it was, and then followed that up yesterday with the with a really nice performance uh, at the double blue scrimmage. So I, I think they're in a fine position. Uh, I, I'm not at a point now where I'm comfortable with those guys going in yet, but I do think it's an interesting battle. In preseason, that's going to be one to watch because one of those guys is going to separate himself and be the backup to Chad Kelly. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, we'll stay on the offense for for a minute. We'll get to your D in a, in a bit, JB. But uh, let's talk about Lonnie Moore the fourth. He had a day yesterday. I had there were, there aren't official stats for this. I did some stat recording. I'll post my my full stat list on on nexusandargos.com if you wanted to take a look at at what I had down for statistics. But uh, for for Lonnie Moore the fourth, six catches, eighty nine yards, and a touchdown. He kind of came out of nowhere for me. I've I've seen him in camp. I you know watched film on him when the Argos signed him. That was a pretty early one. I feel like that was back. I think that was at the end of last season. I think it was December last year, and uh, Monmouth University. I wasn't expecting him to be anything other than a kick returner. That's what I thought he was. He's not a big guy. He had some success returning the football really fast. Got great moves. I did not, For first of all, I did not expect him to be out there with the starters yesterday. And I absolutely did not expect him to be leading the way with in catches and yardage. Uh, he looked, he looked like he, he looked ready to go, eh? Yeah, he, I mean, he, he doesn't blow you away. I, I like, he looks like a professional receiver. Like he, he was in the right spot and the quarterback clearly liked him. And he made the catches. So he's not he's not eye-catching, but that's not what he's, you know, he's trying to be the fifth or sixth receiver on this team. Uh, you know, so I think you're looking for somebody who can do that, like who can, you know, be a great route runner and when get open, they catch the ball and, and they're moving the chain. So, yeah, like he, he, he's, he doesn't blow you away like, oh, that's the star, but he caught every ball they threw to him. Yeah, and they had him playing the boundary slot, which it makes me really happy because you remember last year, I, I went on and on every podcast about how I wanted DeVaris Daniels playing out wide because DeVaris is, he didn't, you know, he was he was being a team player, but I asked him specifically about whether or not he likes being outside or inside. He made it pretty clear he prefers being on the outside. And so, and you could see it in his play. He's a, just a, a much better receiver on the outside. He's not a, a slot receiver. Some guys just aren't. And Eric Rogers was supposed to be the boundary slot last year. He never really played. And so DeVaris got kicked inside for most of the season. A couple of games where Ambles played in the slot. I think Phillips played one in the slot, allowed DeVaris to be outside. And that's where he looked at home. And that's where he had his best games. So for them to be putting more in the slot, I think, is really encouraging, too. Now, he's he couldn't profile any more differently than than Eric Rogers, who's a, yeah, a giant out there. This is a very different philosophy. Lonnie Moore, he's listed at 5'10", 175. Uh, I, I, I don't think he's all of either of those numbers, but it doesn't matter. Uh, he's comfortable over the middle. He made some really nice catches in traffic. He settles in space so nicely, too. And that's something that... It re- that's something that a lot of American receivers really struggle with. They don't have the instinct right away. In the States, because the field is so much smaller, 
crisp route running is really what it's all about. Like that's how you get space. In the CFL, it's a little bit different. Like being a crisp route runner helps, obviously. But having an instinct for where that void begins and where it ends is huge. And there's some guys that just never get that. And they're great route runners. And you see them going 100 miles an hour. And they, they, look, at, they look at other guys around the league and, and say, well, how, you know, how does this guy, I'm twice as fast as him. I run uh, tighter corners than this guy. How come he's always open? You think if you're like, you're Ben Cahoons that just, guys that for, for years could just find space in a heartbeat. And that was something that, I'm not comparing to him to Ben Cahoon, but, but looking at Moore yesterday, he was really good at finding space. So I, I've got really high hopes for him. It's one day, it's one scrimmage. Let's see how he looks in preseason, but he's definitely the number one guy I've got my eye on uh, heading into uh, the preseason matchup against Hamilton. JB, let's talk about your... Actually, before we get to the the, the D, I just want to share the frustration with our our listeners, the frustration of watching a scrimmage with you, um, because... On every play, you claim that the quarterback is sacked. He was. Uh, It's so so frustrating. It was an absurdity. They're like, no, that's Uh, fine. No, that's fine. Like, sack. sack. Touching a guy's jersey on your way by is not the same as a sack. But yeah, every nice completion, I'm like, oh, that was a nice throw. JB's like, no, sack. How about getting down into the crouch and flexing your arms before the ball was thrown? that, That happened once. And I think the throw gets out before he gets hit. He would have taken a hit. He would have been throwing yeah, through there, contact. Yeah, there were at least three big passes that were sacked from where I sat. No, like, yeah, JB's stat sheet probably had like 12 sacks for the defense. <laughs> oh, look, but... the guy in the backfield, that's a sack. You don't get to stand in the pocket as the defender rests beside you in the backfield. Sometimes you take a hit as you're throwing the ball. You know that's part of it. It's just that we're not following through on that. But where Chad's going to stand in the pocket, he's going to deliver the ball, and right as he releases it, he's going to get clocked. And that's that's going to happen. It's just, you know, you, you don't need to reenact the hitting part of that in, in the scrimmage. But, yeah, we, I we, we saw that I understand they want to see the quarterback throw the ball. So <laughs> that's fine. But I, I would say I, I definitely had more sacks than were called. The defense will agree with you, too, because I know yeah, well, being in good. defensive film rooms, all of them are like, oh, that's that's a sack. I had seven sacks. That's that's how they're calling it. So let's talk about that defense. Uh, who stood out for you the most? It, it was mm. weird, right? Because and I, I mean, we're never going to get to defense at this rate. But just one last thing I, I do want to say. I thought we saw some things that I didn't expect to see in a scrimmage. Like uh, the touchdown to A.J. Olette, his his rushing touchdown. That's a running play I haven't seen the Argos run before. It was interesting. There's creativity. And normally stuff's a little bit more vanilla in a scrimmage. And I think that speaks to what you were saying before as to this team being more experienced than we've seen in years past. They were a few weeks ahead of where they'd normally be in install. Because we saw some pretty cool stuff. We saw a little bit of it on defense, not so much from the linebacker level, but we saw them playing around in the secondary. And that was that was kind of cool to see. What do you think of what do you think of Robertson Daniel and Priester? That that combo on the boundary side they were yeah, playing around looked, with. Looked great. I mean, uh Daniel especially, um you know, in terms of uh uh you know he looked he looked fast. Um they they looked big. Um, you know, sometimes the secondary can seem a bit smaller. Uh, I, I was really happy with how the secondary looked. I thought that they, they didn't do anything very exotic. Um, but it, it we're always in position. There were no busts. 
were always in a position to make the play. Um, brought the heat a couple of times on blitzes, uh, which which looked good in terms of the timing, which is pretty good this early. Uh, yeah, I, I thought that uh, Daniel especially um, stood out to me in in the secondary. That halfback uh, I, blitz I liked, um, was sweet at the goal line. What's that? The halfback blitz at the goal line. Yeah, where he, gorgeous. You, just, you could gorgeous. see him creeping like, in. To 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 time that like that is so hard to to have a delayed blitz that doesn't actually come late. Um, it was yeah, a gorgeous, um, gorgeous instinct, gorgeous timing. And, and the, the importance uh, I, of the timing on that, just for for listeners that don't know that uh, maybe don't understand what we're talking about, why that's such a big deal. If you're blitzing from the secondary and you're late, you're basically playing a man short on that play. So if you're sending a safety blitz or a halfback blitz, corner blitz, and you don't time it well, and you don't actually generate any pressure, then you've basically just taken yourself out of the play. Oh, and that what- also made me think of our argument uh, where there was the hospital ball that you felt was a very good deep catch. Yeah, yeah like, but again, it's a contested catch. There's a, there's a couple. Of- <laughs> I think you'd be contesting will be who's paying the hospital bill. This is not 1970 where guys are just going to come in and, and helmet to helmet you into the grave. Okay. That's that's not what was happening here. There were contested catches. And yeah, like JB next to me, like, oh, that's that's never going to be completed in a game. Uh, no, the sa- safety was the, sa- the safety would have annihilated him. You take a hit, and they know that. Like receivers going over the middle, they know they're they know they're taking a shot. But it's mm-hmm. yeah, that that's not. Again, we have a different read on um, that. Who else did I like? I like Marion. I thought uh, Benoit Marion looked really good. I yeah, thought he too. looked fast. Uh, I thought he looked really active on the line. I was I was really happy to see that he he you know they've got a bunch. There were a bunch of guys that were out, so he was getting a few more a few more starter reps than normally he does. And uh, you know he popped a couple of times. I thought he looked. Thought he looked quick. I thought he looked strong. I thought he looked nice in run support. Um, so I, maybe he can fight his way into the rotation a little bit. I know he, he's obviously a, a superb special teams player, but um, he he certainly caught my eye a couple of times. And uh, what else did I enjoy? I enjoyed the defense uh, picking up the running back. It took me a second to figure out. I've never seen a defender pick up a running back off the ground after hitting him. Yeah, but, uh, but but again, to to bring out my offensive view on this, that you like running plays in this format, the whistles are blown so early, which is what the referees are told to do. They don't want players taking hits. The coaches don't want to see that. But like some of these, some of these run plays, like I, I felt, I felt so bad for McMahon who had two carries, and I think I had him at minus two yards. He's not; these aren't tackles. He, they, he's not getting tackled all just because they can touch his jersey. They blew the whistle sometimes before contact, right before he's about to make a juke move. Andrew Harris got blown dead, I think, on his one carry, as I recall. Yeah, which... well, I don't think the defense was uh, was expecting Harris to be in there, and uh, you know, I think Pickett was. Uh, blew him up almost on contact from the from the handoff, and uh, you know quickly picked him up. So I think that's a a nice show of respect for Harris. But that's it's just not the style of play that suits the running game. And they called quite a few running plays because they want to see the execution. They want to see the blocks on the line. They want to see the path. They want to see the mesh point. They're they're trying to make sure all of that is in order. But 
the result of the play you can't really look at. So the rushing stats really don't matter that much. Like AJ Olette was the leading rusher, but it's it, that that stuff's kind of meaningless. I was more impressed with him as a receiver. He was used a few times as an outlet, um, and I thought I thought Kelly did a really nice job of getting the ball out early to to backs instead of it sort of being a, a last ditch thing and a back taking a three yard loss on a pass. When you see him in man coverage, especially getting an edge. Um, and getting getting out wide before his defender hitting him early. I thought those were some nice reads were made on those plays too. So that was. Cool I think to my see. last guy, and hopefully it's not to kiss a death. Um, sometimes happens on these pods where we trumpet somebody, and then you can time the release tweet uh, coming out the next day. Um, but uh, I I really liked uh, Quantes Stiggers. Yeah, you know he, I I thought he looked I thought he looked strong. I thought he looked. Um, the part and uh, was, you know, great on press and physicality. Uh, you know, I think that's something the secondary doesn't necessarily have a ton of. Um, I know he is raw, but I'd be shocked if they didn't try and get him onto their practice squad because he, you, you it's just one of those things you can, you know, a coach can just tell you like 10 seconds in, when somebody has elite athleticism and he does it just it it screams off him elite athleticism so if coach bell can can get him plugged in i think he is um you know a project but i i i hope that they keep him yeah i'm really excited about him too he's like you said like the athleticism is and the fact that he's playing at this like never having played a snap of college ball and that he's not, not only is he not lost, he actually looks really good. And there, there are little moments where you're like, okay, you know, I, I, there's going to be this that we got to work on, this we got to work on. It's not going to take that long. If you get him on the practice squad for a little while, I could absolutely see him working his way into the roster. There's a couple guys, like, like in the secondary, I think we kind of feel like, you know, Priester and Robertson Daniel are the answer for the departed Shaq Richardson and Jamal Peters. But as we know from last year, you can't just go in with those guys. There's going to be there's going to be turnover. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be issues. And so having a guy like Stiggers, Keith Washington also is another guy. Uh, he was wearing 28 yesterday. I thought, you know, you know, he's he's a guy that that has shown some promise throughout camp. They're, they've got a bunch of really good potential players in that group, kind of like what we found last year. The guys that were discovered throughout the season, like Priester, like like Carnell the fourth guys that weren't really looked at much preseason and then suddenly they were needed, they were called upon and they performed well. So the real possibilities. All right, JB, let's get into the new uniforms. So <laughs> the new uniforms launched today with an epic video, Argo players bursting out of the water, revealing the Cambridge blue jersey and pant combo to go with the Cambridge blue helmet. And also the all-white to go with the Cambridge blue helmet. Initial reaction, JB, what do you think? Yeah, my initial reaction is I love them. I love I love the color. Um, I you know I I think that uh, the design is slick. You can tell from the player reactions they're into it. Uh, it's great to see. I, I I love a fresh coat of paint, and they didn't. You, you know, like it doesn't look like something that was made up in. A, in an advertising marketing lab looks like football was involved in the design of these and they're not too much and they're not full. Cause look uh, to me, 
I think anytime you have a uniform release and it's not a punchline, you have to be very happy because we all know around the league in both the NFL and the CFL, sometimes uniforms get released and it, you know, it's a no. So the fact that it was not a no, I think is a win. And then on top of that, I think they look really sharp. I think the, I think the swag looks great. You know, the hoodies and the t-shirts and uh, the uniforms and the helmet look good. I, I, I think it was. Uh, I think that's a win for uh, for the department. I have a problem with the uniform. <laughs> so Why? this this is it's me. It's not the uniform. It's me, and I know that this is me being an old man. And I don't like when the jersey and the pants are the same color. And I don't care what color it is. I don't like. Like, I don't like BC's uh, black jersey, black pants combo or Hamilton's black jersey, black pants combo. Montreal does their blue jersey, blue pants combo. I don't like it. I don't like when I want contrast. Like my favorite Argos jersey from last season or favorite uniform combo was when they went with the the Oxford blue jersey, like the the dark blue jersey with the Cambridge blue pants. Like that looks great. And so for me, uh, who wants to see that contrast... I, I love everything about the jersey. And I'm going to detail a couple of things that are really cool details. That's not a great sentence, but in a minute. The the problem I have is I think that jersey should be the uh, the Oxford blue, not the Cambridge. It should be the dark blue. And if you leave everything else the same, same design, same details on the jersey, but the dark blue jersey with the Cambridge blue pants, Cambridge blue helmet, it doesn't even matter what color socks you put on, I think is that would be a winner. But... Everyone else I've asked, my, my kids think it's the greatest uniform they've ever seen. The players love the uniform. Everyone I asked about the uniform today loved the uniform. Uh, a couple exceptions, and they're mostly older guys like me that don't like the, the, the matching thing because we think it looks like pajamas. But that's, you know, we're, we're wrong because the majority of people really yeah, do like it. Sometimes the matching doesn't work. Like it's like the NFL color rush games where... You know, you had the Jets that looked like Gumby, and then you had the Bills that looked like a ketchup bottle. And for sure, sometimes, you know, the the shirt-pant combo looks ridiculous, but I, I don't think so here. I think that, that this looks sharp. The details that are pretty cool. So first of all, saying all together on the inside of the call, or sorry, pull together uh, on the inside of the collar, the slogan, I think is really neat. The... The shoulders, so it, a lot of people have compared it to like the Oregon Ducks shoulder. And what it actually is are oars. So you've got six oars on one shoulder, six oars on the other shoulder. So it's the representing the 12 players on the field, everyone pulling together. That's the the nod to their history, their heritage, which the whole uniform is, right? Like when I interviewed Hoagie a couple of weeks ago on this pod, he talked about the fact that this wasn't rushed into. This is years in the making coming up with this uniform for the 150th. So this is not just like, hey, let's just throw this out there. Like you said, like the marketing lab, like that's not this is thinking very carefully about it and you've got that symbolism the the stripe down the pant which looks really cool isn't really a stripe it's actually an or as well which is neat there's there's a really cool detail on the photos they put out if you look at aj olette's uh like stomach if you zoom in on it you see these little uh, sort of uh, laser pinpricks uh ventilation across the stomach and that is in a wave as well sort of continuing the nautical theme everything about the uniform, everything about the helmet 
is thought through and thematic. It's for a reason, not just random. Hey, this will look cool. And that part I like. And the fact that it ties back to the 1950s, 60s Argos, where you're using that, that Cambridge Blue. So overall, I think it's cool. Um, not perfect in my opinion, but I know that my opinion is by far the minority. Most people love this thing. JB, it is time for us to start talking about a football game. Toronto at Hamilton at Tim Hortons Field, 4 o'clock this Saturday afternoon. What do you do, first of all? Because you and I have argued about this before. Who do you send out there? Like, what's your what's your mentality coming into this game in terms of players? You start, yeah, players I, you sit. What do you have? For me, nobody. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? Like, nobody plays? You, you have... You have two preseason games. I I I wouldn't send any starters out in this game. I think you're looking at the bottom six of your roster and practice squad, and I would essentially send them out uh, to take a look at at what they look like, um, you know, on the field and and get a sense of who your bottom six are going to be and who has practice squad potential. I, I, you don't need to see your starters. You don't need to see them run any plays. Um, I just think the need for preseason is is a little bit antiquated. Um, just the way install goes now and the and the amount of class time and the amount of work that's done to, to learn the plays and, the, and what's done in practices. Uh, you know, I, I just don't see exhibition being being very purposeful in 2023 so i would i wouldn't have any starters i would just have your bottom you know your bottom 30 guys uh going out there and and see if one or two of them pop and i i disagree completely with that philosophy i i think i get it and i think if you were bringing back mcleod bethel thompson and otherwise didn't really have many changes. I could see that argument a little bit more, but I still don't like it. Like, look, you've got you've got 85 guys on the roster plus non-counters. You you've got you've got so many guys that you know already, even at this stage, you know, like this, these guys aren't going to be, they're not going to be with the team at this point. Like these, a lot of these decisions, I have to believe, have been made to a degree. I don't think you need to see all, you know, 100 guys on the football field. I think the value of a preseason game, it's not like there are four or five preseason games. There's just two. And a long season ahead of you, I get not wanting to risk injury, but that's that's a risk you have to take every time you put on a uniform. That's a risk every every practice you go out there. You're, you're putting players at risk to some degree. I think you just have to stomach that risk because you. what's more important is developing chemistry, developing a routine, in order not to get out to a slow start, because we've seen how a slow start, look at Hamilton last year, got off to a slow start, it crushed them. They never really were able to fight their way back, end up you know, barely making the playoffs and, and really not being in a position to beat Montreal because of the uphill battle they faced. And I think you just have to, with a new quarterback, especially a quarterback that's doesn't have as much experience like Chad Kelly, I need him out there. I don't need him to play a whole quarter or a half or anything like that. I need him out there for a series or two. Get to the routine, get all your starters out there for a couple series, see what it looks like, and then you can start rolling in guys after that. Because I do agree, there's some important decisions that have to be made after that. And you, you want as much time yeah. for, for uh, to me, that's the other game two. QBs. That's the first half of game two. You don't, you don't need to do it twice. 
And I think you do it both times. And I get the argument, like so often you see with road games, you just fire in all the backups and you save your starters for your home game. But I just think that's a mistake here because there's there's new pieces and really important new pieces. You've got to have more time because all you've got otherwise with Chad Kelly, all you've got is that you've got that the meaningless game against Montreal last year. You've got the Grey Cup, which was, again, went extremely well. You've got the scrimmage uh, on, was that yesterday? I don't even know what day of the week it is. Yes, that went extremely well. But we need more. These aren't, this is just not a lot on, on the resume. And I want him to face more adversity. And I want him to, I want him to get hit a couple of times. I think that's an important part of this too. Not, I don't want him to get hurt, but I want him to take a couple of hits. I want him to throw under pressure and feel the urgency of those reads in two preseason games, not just one. So that would be my philosophical difference. I think Coach Dinwiddie is going to see it more the way you do, just knowing the type of coach he is. I think he's he's going to be torn because he's going to want to win this game because he, he he does like that's how he's wired. But I think I think he's going to be more like you. And I wouldn't be surprised if Chad Kelly doesn't play or doesn't throw a pass one of the two. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. They haven't announced anything as of yet. Uh, we'll probably see that come out shortly or maybe we find out on game day that that he's not playing or, or playing in a limited fashion. But if it were me, I'd do it differently. All right, JB, it is time for everybody's favorite segment. It's OCDC. This season, OCDC is brought to you by the Business Barbershop and Spa. The Business Barbershop and Spa invites you to experience Etobicoke's premier licensed men's grooming lounge for hair, face, and body care. They're celebrating 10 years in the Kingsway. And there's a deal going on too. The first 50 clients who book a service will be entered into a draw to win a $200 gift card. Just mention Argo's All About the Business. Argo's all about the business. When you book a service, you'll get entered into that draw. And I can't speak highly enough about, about the business. Uh, it, it's, it's an amazing place to go. It's where I get my hair cut. Uh, you can get shaves too, which I've done before. And that is the most relaxing thing ever. The, the hot towel, the shave, the haircut. You leave that place feeling like a million bucks. And they've got spa services there too. I've had the scalp massage, which uh, is out of this world. So yeah, you need a haircut. You need a shave. You want to get taken care of properly. Uh, you got to check out the business. And don't forget, Argo's all about the business to enter that draw. JB, for our new listeners, we better bring people up to speed on OCDC. So JB, uh, you've served as a defensive coordinator for years. I've been an offensive coordinator for years. This segment, while different in preseason, is designed to have us kind of look at how we would attack both teams, for me offensively, for you defensively. So for this preseason tilt, it's going to be a, a little bit more uh, formulaic than usual, but I'll start it off. So uh, let's start off with the bad guys. We'll look at the Hamilton Tiger Cats. So as the OC of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, I'm really not trying to beat Toronto schematically per se, because I don't want to do that. I'm not trying to, I, I don't want to spill my candies in the lobby in a preseason game, knowing that the Argos and Ticats have to play 17 times this season. You don't want to start it off by, by showing your cards, but you do need to establish a few things. So like I said in, in the, the preamble, I, I do think I would have Bo Levi Mitchell 100% playing. And I think he I think he needs to just as much as Chad Kelly needs to. He didn't have a great season last year, certainly not to his standard. He's with 
an entirely new team. He needs to be out there. And what I want to do as Hamilton is I want to make him comfortable. I want to go with the concepts that he's felt most comfortable with in camp. I want to get him some completions. He's not going to be out there long. I might play him half a quarter, a quarter. And I want him just making easy reads that he's been making his entire life. Read, have short um, floods, short zone beaters, take the easy completion, take check downs. That's fine. Exit the game five of five for for 35 yards. That's great. I've achieved everything I want to achieve. That's my offensive plan for Hamilton. It's not exciting, but I think getting Bo Levi Mitchell into a level of comfort and the fan base into a level of comfort after they've had some questionable quarterback play, I think is huge. Because if it goes the other way, if it's if Bo Levi Mitchell doesn't play in preseason and starts slow, people are going to be pushing that that panic button really fast in, in Hamilton. You know they are. And so I think it's important right away, get the whole team on board with this. Yeah, things are fine. It's going to be okay. Bo's here. That's that's my offensive plan for Hamilton. How are you looking at Hamilton defensively, JB? Well, I would probably do the exact same thing for both defensive coordinators. I can't really speak for Hamilton, but... In the, in this case, uh, I'm I'm staying in base the whole game. I want to see how our base looks, what what plays give our base problems, and we can look at that. But I want to just run, with you know probably some kind of man to uh, base coverage uh, that you, that you're running. You you want to stay as vanilla as possible. You don't want to give away anything. So from a defensive point of view, you you're just you know, looking at mainly tackling. It's almost like a, an hour-long tackling drill. Like from a defensive coordinator point of view, you're really just interested in, in how well do people tackle, how well do they close, how well do they follow through on their tackles. Um, maybe throw in some man coverage uh, to see if that's a, a tool you have. You know, can we can we hold up to man coverage? Um, that's basically it. I would, for, from my perspective as a defensive coordinator, I'm I'm not interested in in anything other than um, how aggressive and how well people hit, and uh, you know how 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 well can we hold up in man coverage if we switch to it. And other than that, uh, it's largely a waste of time for the defense uh, preseason. And I see it sort of differently. I, like I, because I think I, I get what you're saying, and I, I completely understand that philosophy. But like, I would want to run through, like, no, I'm not saying exotic stuff. I'm not saying you're 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 running all sorts of weird twists and and delayed blitzes or anything like that. But I would want to really cycle through my my cover twos and threes and fours and and just just basic versions, not anything that you know the other coordinator is going to be writing down and saying, oh, that's interesting what they're doing here. That's not the plan there. But I, I think I want to see how my guys react to just very simple uh, diagnosing of, of space, especially because you've got so many guys playing on a, a new sized field. So I, I would want to run some of that. But I, I get what you're saying. The danger of showing too much, even if it's basic, is if you can't do it. And now suddenly you've highlighted something. Hey, this guy's really struggling with this. Um, when we play each other in a couple of weeks time, why don't we why don't we target him with this, this and this? So I, I get what you're saying. Now, if we shift back to the the good guys now and look at the the Argonauts offense, my plan for the offense, like, again, if I have things my way, Chad Kelly's going to be out there and I'm going to run it very similar to what I said for, for Bo Levi, where you go conservative, you complete some passes, you keep him standing. You don't want to get him, you don't want to get him rocked. I don't mind him getting hit, taking some contact, 
but I, I don't want him getting annihilated or anything like that. I'm not doing deep drops or, or looking for, for third and fourth reads. I'm getting the ball out fast. But I change this up now for when you get in Holmes and Scott, especially. I'm not sure I'm putting Cameron Dukes in the same conversation at this point. I think it's I think it's Holmes and Scott for the backup job. And I really want to see them push the ball downfield. I want to see almost like we saw with the scrimmage where they did situational stuff. I want to see them run some hurry up. I want to see them launch the ball downfield. I want to see them try and and take advantage of of high lows on the on the safety. I want to see that kind of stuff maybe showing more than I'm even comfortable showing because I think it's important to see which one of those guys steps up because it has been Holmes's job all throughout camp. I and for me right now I would lean to Holmes. I think he's ahead of where Scott is. But you can't you can't argue against Scott looking fantastic the last couple of days. He has. He's had some real moments. Let's see what they both look like with a real game plan, not just your vanilla stuff. I want to see I want to see them tested. And so for those reasons, I know it's Hamilton, I know it's risky, but I want to see a real offensive game plan. I want to see them make difficult reads. I want to see them with some urgency and some pace. And so that's what I would ask for from from Toronto's offense. Now, and, and defense, are you going to stick to that that exact same plan that you gave us for Hamilton? That's yeah. your plan? I mean, I think sort of counterintuitively, you, you can in preseason uh, dial up the occasional exotic blitz that you don't plan on running during the season just to, you know, keep it interesting for for the team and just to give them a look that you're never planning on doing again. So I would p- probably dial up a few exotic things just to see how they react to it. I love um, mind games the, like that. What's that? I love mind games like that, like where you show something in preseason, yeah, knowing just, full well that that people are you have watching no that film, of running that blitz ever again. Right. And like, why and, not? And you know that teams now have to prep for it. So for every following week, like, well, they're going to bust this out at some point. So yeah, let's be ready. I would for definitely. It. Th- I would. I would uh, throw a couple of blitzes in, um, you know, to try that to see to see what you have. Um, my guess is is yeah. My guess is that they're going to want to play. Uh, you know, relatively conservatively because they're trying to evaluate these guys, and you know, the, the you know the bench guys can't run the stuff as well as the other guys. You're you're not looking for to find bench guys who can be starters. You're trying to find who can be a bench guy. So I would I would think that you're probably looking to to dial back the complexity and just see how those guys you know, react in space, how they make a tackle when the ball is caught in front of them, um, how they react to run, uh, you know, those sort of fundamental things and not worry about busts or them getting lost or not sure which which play to run, which which is likely to happen and which really isn't that useful for you in terms of evaluation. I think you 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 want to see what are their what are their fundamentals. And so that's where I would probably just stay in like a like a you know like a cover two shell uh and 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 just kind of just play ball i think there's value in in sort of diagnosing coachability right like the, even like the stuff you're talking about while you may not necessarily go and run this or run this seeing how a guy responds you've you've instructed a x player to do this how does he do it? How does he execute it? How well does he take instruction? <laughs> not very well if he's not a starter. No, but but some of these guys will be. Like there's a bunch of guys out there 
that like these the practice squad guys are the guys that are on the bubble of the practice squad i do think like i said earlier i think there's a bunch of guys that i think you could already say okay this is not going to happen this year maybe down the road but not this year but i do think there are some where you want to really um get them accustomed to the process too of of taking in new uh taking in new plays taking in new concepts let's see how well you execute it let's analyze it on film over the next couple of weeks and and see how you can improve on that or, or on the way that you you uh, interpret my instruction, my language, whatever. I think there's I think there's some value in there. But it, but, uh, you know, we're 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 really searching for for, for meaning here uh, with uh, with what you can put out there. Uh, but that's you know, that's preseason, right? That's how it is. All right. It's time for one thing. JB, what is your what is your one thing uh, um, for this preseason game? It feels game? like a, a shout out to last year, um, but even from a bit of the scrimmage, uh, it, it sort of popped into my head as well. Is I would love to see the Argos be able to run the ball successfully inside the twenty. Um, to be able to run in a touchdown um, is something that they were not very good at last year. Now. It didn't stop them from winning the Grey Cup. So I, I take some of the heat off my frustration. Um, but, but I have to believe on some level that that is an important ability to be able to turn field goals into touchdowns and not always have the pressure on the quarterback to to throw this ball, especially if you have a young quarterback uh, or a newer quarterback, you'd really love to be able to pound the ball in from the five and in. So I'd love to see a rushing touchdown. Um, it, it is an area that, that has not been the strength. So I'd love to see that. And we have seen that in, well, we saw that in, in the scrimmage, but again, that doesn't really mean as much. Like both Olette and Leak had had rushing touchdowns. Leaks was sort of up the middle. Olette's was around the outside. But I don't know how much we can take away from that. But like you said, they they did. They got they got rushing touchdowns in the Grey Cup. They they were able to pull it together late in the season. It was that Ryan Hunter ad that sort of changed yeah. them. Right? Well, that's and, it, right? So I, let's let's see if we can keep that going. Yeah, and, and I think like for me, my one thing, and and this is this is maybe something that I'm I'm not going to get, but. I want to see one of Ben Holmes or Brian Scott. I want to see one of them really separate themselves. So I, that's maybe that's cheating a bit for one thing. It's going to be a, a, a combination of several things. But I really want after this game for us to be able to say going into the second preseason game, yeah, this you know what this guy's this guy is the number two because it's going to make it so much easier. The fewer question marks you have. Going into the second preseason game, the easier it's going to be to really make those those difficult decisions elsewhere. It's so consuming right now in looking at uh, looking at those two quarterbacks and and trying to figure out who the guy is. Let's let's decide that right now. It's real football. It's against a, a division rival, your crosstown rival, or your hated rival. One of those guys has to step up and make plays and show that they're the guy. So that's my one thing for this week. And our our last segment of the day, JB. This is this is the this is more difficult than the usual prediction. But let's do our predictions for this game. How is this one gonna end? I have no idea. I'm just gonna say to start, but it's a segment that we do every time we preview a game, preseason or otherwise. 
is this is this going to be one of those preseason games where nobody gets any points or is this going to be you know calgary edmonton from yesterday where uh, it heats up late and uh and the scoreboard is is definitely rolling over well i think hamilton is definitely going to try and win the game um i i don't think the argos have any interest in winning the game uh which is the correct way to look at an exhibition game but hamilton it's in Hamilton, you know, they're coming, they're they're gunning for the Argos. Uh I think you could easily see Hamilton um putting up putting up a pretty substantial victory, which won't mean anything except to a bunch of Hamilton losers. So I would say mm, I would say twenty eight fourteen Hamilton, which is not cause for crisis, and we can talk about how it's not a crisis next week. I, I'm going to go the other way on this. I, I think I, I think I think Coach Dinwiddie believes what you're saying, and I think because mm-hmm. I agree with it too that the the game the score doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're trying to evaluate players. That's all that matters. Especially you're on the road for this one. I think he believes that, and and I believe that too philosophically. But when you get down there in that situation, it's really tough. Remember last year in that meaningless Montreal game where the plan seemed to be to have Chad Kelly play the first half or the three quarters at most, and then seemed to be Ben Holmes coming in for the fourth quarter, but it was tight. It was a game. And it's it's so hard, that competitive nature, and you, when it's tight like that, and I think it's going to be because you've got those three other quarterbacks who are, are really good for one, but also fighting to the death for these spots. I think it's it's going to be a pretty tight game coming down the wire. And I think Coach Dinwiddie, this is what he does. Like he he wins football games. That's what he does. He's a he's got a, a great winning percentage in his in his two full seasons with the Argos. Look at what he's done. Winning a Grey Cup, finishing first in the East twice. He wins football games. And he's not going to be able to shut that off after two and a half quarters when the Argos are down by three or four points. He's gonna push it, and they're gonna pull it out at the end. I think this is a tight one. I think it's. I think it's twenty seventeen. Uh, Argos win this game. All right. Well, that will just about do it for us on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. We're gonna have a post game reaction podcast coming to you this week, our first of the season, as we start going doubling it up for uh, all of the all the weeks that have games in them we're always going to do our post game reaction pod and then our preview pod for the following week so make sure you look for us late saturday night it'll be on your phone or on your computer early sunday morning for jb this is ben grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones i'll see ya Fight the foe, foe.